Thank you, Barrett, and all who have shared already. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you as well. I'm Pastor Tom, and uh, thank, thank you for those of you who are joining us online. And today I want to begin with a question for you, and it's uh, a simple question, but a hard one to answer, I think. The question is this, how do you respond when someone tells you what to do? They don't ask, they tell. They expect you to simply follow their instructions. And we all had this experience as children, and if you're younger, you still live under your parents' house and authority, and our parents told us at times what to do without question. And so we probably responded in one of four possible ways, at least the ones I could think of. One, uh, we may have obeyed wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah, that's what my parent, whoever is talking to me, wants me to do. I'm going to do it, no problem. Or we obeyed to keep the peace or because we saw it as a future negotiating tool. Or we said we would obey, but we knew we wouldn't. Or we said right away we're not obeying with a simple no. And author Mark Buchanan, who wrote the book uh, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath, talks about an experience that he had when he was nine or ten years old. And his mother had just baked a chocolate cake and then she proceeded to put icing on the cake. And then she had to go out outside I think it was it was ready to serve to some guests that they were looking forward to having in a little bit and his mother said to him do not touch the cake while I go outside so Mark thought about this command do not touch the chocolate cake but then he reasoned she never said we couldn't help ourselves to the chocolate cake's icing she clearly never said that. Cake is a substance made from flour, sugar, eggs, and some powdery mix. Cake, strictly speaking, is not icing. Cake is cake without icing. So with this reasoning, Buchanan helped himself to some icing. First, he scooped up the dabs of icing at the bottom uh, of the foil uh, thing that the cake was on and reasoned, you know, I'm helping my mother make the cake look more presentable by scooping up the icing. Then he took his finger and went around the icing that hang, hung down on the side of the top of the cake. And then he took his finger and took the icing that went around the bottom of the cake. And then he took a spatula and he reasoned that there, were, there was excess icing on this cake. And so he scooped off the excess icing on the top of the cake and scooped off some more excess icing on the side of the cake and then realized that there were some parts where the cake could be seen now, so he tried to move the icing that remained over the bare parts of the cake. And then his mother came home. And surprisingly, she did not agree with his interpretation of her command. And she clarified rather strongly, don't touch the cake means don't touch any of it, all of it, the whole thing. And he says he doesn't remember the consequences, but he does remember this incident because it served as a strong example of his default response to commands. 
He writes, I gravitate towards minimalism when it comes to my obedience. My default response is to ask myself, what's the least I am required to do and the most I can get away with? Show me a command and I will interpret it to sidestep its sharp edges. I will look for any loophole to try to squirm through. I will try to bend around immovable objects and wriggle out of padlock straitjackets. And so my question to follow up is what might be your default response towards commands or obedience? And some of us might tend towards minimalism like Buchanan. Some of us might readily obey. Maybe we value keeping the peace more than our own preferences. And when someone commands something, we look for our ways to obey it. And some might take it further. Oh, here's a rule, here's a command. And obviously there's people around me that aren't obeying it, so I've got to add more rules to make it clearer to them, which can lead to legalism, an excessive focus on the command itself to the point where we might miss the bigger picture. And I raise these questions because as Christians, we must pay attention to our default response to commands. Because if we're serious about our faith, we must deal with the commands of God. And if we're not careful, we can respond to God's commands in the exact same way we respond to human commands that we quickly disregard. Think about the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, for example. How do you respond to that one? How are we supposed to respond as Christians to such a command? How can we keep Sabbath as Christians? And we return today to the series Finding Rest and Renewal in God. And we're exploring that the primary way we can discover this is through the practice of Sabbath or Sabbath practices. We've learned that Sabbath, according to this author that we're referring to, is not just a day but a perspective. And we started by looking at a theology of rest where we began right in the beginning where God rested after creation. After six days of labor, he rested on the seventh. And then we went to Exodus 20 and looked at the first listing of the Ten Commandments. And there we saw the command to remember or to practice Sabbath. And we got into the New Testament and we saw Jesus' beautiful invitation in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So there's this invitation from God to find our deepest soul rest in him. And today we're going to consider how a Christian might keep God's Sabbath command to find rest in him. And to do this, we're going to look at the Sabbath command in its original context and learn some things about it and note some things. And then we're going to walk through four steps in the process of keeping Sabbath. The first two steps are preparatory, where we look at our attitude towards commands. And then the last two steps are actually practicing Sabbath or engaging in a Sabbath practice. And my prayer today is that most of all, you will hear God's call 
to you to come to him to find rest as a gift, as a gift and not a burden. So with that in mind, let's go to the Old Testament today, Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's on page 136 in the Bibles that we have here, and we're going to focus on verses 12 to 15, which is the Sabbath command, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 21, which gives us the context of the whole passage. So Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 1, and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. And he, the Lord, said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So our focus today is verses 12 to 15 of this text. And they raise this question of Sabbath. So what is Sabbath? It means to rest from regular labor for the purpose of renewal and focus on God. So a Sabbath day is supposed to be different than a day off from work or from school. 
It says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to set it apart. So it's to be unlike any other ordinary day of the week, and it involved worship and remembering God's saving activity. It aimed to give refreshment and renewal from God to all who practiced it. And when they practiced Sabbath, they were imitating God, for God himself rested on the seventh day of creation. Now, this passage in Deuteronomy contains the second listing of the Ten Commandments that we have in the Bible. They first appear in Exodus 20 when God carved them into the stones at Mount Sinai, and Moses brought them to the people, and these commandments, along with others, were to govern them as a people as they went into the Promised Land. But that generation of people did not believe that God could bring them into the Promised Land. And so God sentenced them to wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation died out. So Deuteronomy is spoken to the children of the first generation. The children experienced slavery in Egypt under their parents. They experienced the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. They experienced the wandering in the desert and now they are poised to go across into the promised land. So Moses is reviewing the law with them. Deuteronomy means second law or second reading of the law. And so Moses is reviewing this because he's not going into the promised land with them as God has decreed. So the Sabbath command is one of only two that speaks with a you shall a you shall or an action to begin. The other eight have a you shall not to begin with. But this one plus honor your father and mother, talk to us about activities we should be doing. But then it immediately has a you shall not to clarify. So in verse 14 it says, on it, the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. So the Sabbath required them to set aside their normal work activities to gain rest and refreshment. And notice the extent of this command. On it, you shall not do any work, nor your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the foreigner that is within your gate. This was to be a society-wide day of rest. It applies to children, to servants, to animals. And as I was going through this, I said, what about wives? Did you notice they're not mentioned here? Does that mean they didn't get a day of rest? No. Since in that context, the husband or male had authority over everyone else in the household, the command is given primarily to him to model this and give others permission to have a day of rest. And we have seen in Israelite society how wives had many more rights and responsibilities for household leadership. Look at Proverbs 31. And the woman there, if you don't believe me, and all that she was involved in. So I think it reasonable to assume that God included wives in the gift of Sabbath, and there were still domestic tasks that needed to be done, like meals and care for the children, but the husband was available because he was not at his work. 
So the overall command is for everyone to have a day of rest to worship and reflect on God and on life. And we might also wonder, I don't know if you did, but I did right away when I saw this about male and female servants. They didn't get paid. So they were virtually slaves. So what do we think of that? We immediately have concerns. How could the people of God have slaves? Didn't they know that was terrible? That's wrong to own other people. And yes, it is concerning. And even though it was common practice, it doesn't justify owning people, but we talked about this back on January 15th with the message on workers and managers, if you want to go back to that message from Colossians, and that gives further context to what life was like in the Roman Empire, and we learned there that if an owner released their slaves and gave them total freedom, they were extremely vulnerable to be enslaved by the next person walking down the street. And so there were a lot of different conditions there, not saying that it was right or anything like that. It was a reality, and that's what the Bible does. It speaks to the reality of the way things were and also lays a foundation for the abolishment of slavery, which happened, led by Christians in the 1800s. People, however, including the Israelites, had servants or slaves. We struggle with that, but we also need to consider this command for God's people compared to other nations. And the question is this, how many other nations do you think gave their slaves a day of rest? And it is virtually unheard of in the ancient world. Slaves were to be present to help with the master for whatever they needed, whenever they needed, and if the master was having a day of rest, well, the slaves were supposed to be at work preparing the meal and making sure the day of rest for the master went well. Yet here, we have a command to give them a day of rest just like everyone else. And when we begin to consider that, we see the radical nature of this command. God wanted everyone to have time for renewal, rest, and reflection on him. And notice finally the motivation for the command and in verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So they were supposed to remember their own slavery and its bitterness and the harshness of it all. And then in light of that, they were to treat other people and their own servants with care and compassion, not harshness. So that's a summary of the command in its context in Deuteronomy, but what do we 21st century Christians do with such a command? We don't live in a society where everyone rests on one particular day. We don't practice Sabbath on Saturday like the Jews do. Some of, us, some of you have jobs, including me, we have jobs that require us to work on Sundays. How do we deal with that? Do we really need to pay attention to such a command today? Well, Mark Buchanan 
has some helpful perspective on this. He describes himself as a flagrant Sabbath breaker for the first 20 years of his faith journey. And what caused him to change? He wished or wishes he could say, oh, well, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Or I meditated on the text and God changed my mind. Or God wooed me towards this practice. But what convinced him to start looking at this is he was not doing well. He was worn out. He knew if he didn't recover the art of rest, if he failed to find the rest of God, he could lose his work, he could lose his health, he could lose a lot more. And so, instead of seeing Sabbath as one more command to obey, he began to see it as a gift, which is how God intended it. It is a gift to us and to human existence. Yes, it is something commanded, but it is for our good, as every one of God's commands are. It is something to be received for our enjoyment and our benefit. And one commentator writes this, setting apart one day regularly to the Lord deters our human tendency to justify ourselves by our jobs or how much work we do. It is a time to remember having been set free and accepted in the ultimate sense. It is a time to know that the chief end of life is not found in any human work or accomplishment, but in glorifying and enjoying God. So, how can we keep Sabbath as a Christian? Step number one, identify your default response to commands. Do you tend towards legalism? Would people say you excessively adhere to rules and laws? Might you even add your own rules to God's laws? Some Pharisees in the New Testament practiced this. They displayed this tendency and we so easily and quickly criticize the Pharisees and say, oh, we're nothing like them. Do you know who the Pharisees were in that culture? They were like the evangelical pastors of the day like me. And they were out there, they were serious about the word. They were trying to figure out how do we apply this word to everyday life, but they went too far and came up with this whole body of work of additional laws or rules to God's laws. Uh, one of uh, my favorite passages is Matthew 23, verses 23 to 24. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's Jesus. And do you see what they were doing? They were going through their spices and tithing them. Okay, I'll give one-tenth of my dill to the priest. I'll give one-tenth. And so focused on tithing their spices... They forgot about justice and mercy and faithfulness. And that's what can happen with legalism. We get so concerned about the rules, we forget about the bigger picture. 
Do you know that the, some Pharisees, when they saw a person healed on the Sabbath, were more concerned about the legality of the healing than the great work of God? This happened again and again in Jesus' ministry. And if we take a legalistic approach to Sabbath, we will try to figure out every possibility. We will come up with a list of rules. Our family must abide by these rules. And then we look at others who don't follow the rules and we judge them. And it makes Sabbath gloomy. And if we or our family dreads Sabbath, we might be too legalistic. But I think many more of us might tend towards minimalism because that's the kind of culture we live in. We look for shortcuts or ways to avoid following commands. We look for the lowest level of commitment required to technically obey. Why? And I came across someone who's written on this and, and they had three reasons and I came up with two more and I'll give them to you quickly. Why might we be minimalists when it comes to commands? Number one, because we think we're smarter than everyone else. And so we see a command, that's stupid. Why would anyone come up with that? I'm not, I'm not obeying that, no. Reason two, we might have a problem with authority. So maybe there was someone in our past, an authority figure, who overdid it. They were harsh and demanding and critical and never satisfied. And so we decided, no one's going to treat me like that again. And we respond to authority, any authority of any kind, by putting our backs up. Oh, trying to control me, trying to do what that person did in my life. And it is good to stand up to misuse authority, but God never misuses his authority. Yet our default, default response, if our default response is we will not obey unless we are satisfied with God's explanation, we might be minimalists. Reason three, we may be afraid of responsibility. Responsibility sounds confining. It limits our freedom as we define it. And I agree with those who say that the number one value in our culture today is personal autonomy, which means self-rule. Autonomy means self-rule. And I have the right to do whatever I want with my life and no one can tell me how to live. Number one value in our culture today. And our culture defines freedom as the complete absence of any restraint. So put those two together. Freedom, complete absence of restraint. Personal autonomy, I am the ruler over my life. No one can tell me what to do. Well, what am I going to do with the Sabbath command? That's restricting my freedom. That's something external. We will see it as confining if we define freedom as the complete absence of restraint. But that is not how freedom used to be defined, and that does not align with the biblical perception, concept of freedom. We think today of freedom from restraint. The Bible and the old definition said freedom to. Freedom was something to be able to do things. 
And to gain such freedom required discipline and commitment and habit. So you don't have the freedom to play a complex piece on the piano if you have not engaged in the discipline of learning the basics of piano. You don't have the freedom to practice medicine if you haven't gone to med school. Would you go to a, a doctor, a self-proclaimed doctor who told you, oh, by the way, I exercised my freedom to ignore those ridiculous requirements of med school. I never went to med school, so come on in and I'll be your doctor. No. Yet if we have bought into this belief that responsibility and submitting to some external command is bad for us, then we might respond to God's commands the same way. Uh, reason four, only two more, and then we'll keep going on these steps. We fear commitment will take all the spontaneity and joy out of life. Oh, vows. Vows are so restricting. Vows are so serious. And yes, sometimes keeping marriage vows is very difficult. But I suspect many of you here today are filled with joy because your spouse kept their marriage vows. So vows can actually lead to joy. Commitment and obedience can bring joy. And then reason five, why we might tend towards minimalism, because... We are a regular vow breaker. We regularly break commitments and we've gotten to the point, well, it's a lot easier just not to commit to anything because then I don't have to deal with the disappointment of people. So I'm not going to commit to anything. I'm not going to say I'm going to try to figure out Sabbath. Why would I do that? That's a commitment. And, and when we face this, we need to remember God's grace. You know, Peter, we saw last week, denied that he knew Christ. And yet Jesus forgave him. And if we take one small step towards God, he is going to empower and encourage us to follow him, to take another step of seriously following him. So step one, identify your default response. Step two, ask God to change your mind about your default response, about his commands. So if we tend towards legalism, we ask God to change our minds from simply seeing rules to seeing the big picture. Or if we tend towards minimalism, we ask God to help change our perspective on his commands from have to to get to. Notice the difference in these statements. Ah, I have to keep the Sabbath command. I, I get to keep Sabbath today. Do you see the difference? We need to move from God is out to control and restrict me to God wants the best for me. And he wants me to experience amazing guilt-free opportunities. Step three, cease from what is necessary. Cease from what is necessary. So this is where we actually think about how am I going to practice Sabbath in my life? Cease from what is necessary. Everything that you must do on regular days. Work, school, commuting, homework, cleaning, prepping. For me, it's writing, studying, meetings, talking, email, deadlines, being inside, in the office, 
So for me, Sabbath requires me to cease all that is required of me on the regular days of the week. We must cease from what we normally do to move to step four, embrace that which gives life. Embrace that which gives life. We need to know not only what to avoid, but what to do, what to pursue. And Buchanan notes that whenever Jesus broke human-made rules for Sabbath, he broke them in the direction of giving life. He healed the man with the withered hand. He said to the man laying by the pool, take up your bed and walk. That happened on the Sabbath. This is giving life. He healed. He fed people spiritually. He argued or claimed the right to rescue creatures fallen into wells or to lead to wells creatures falling down with thirst, Buchanan's line. Jesus pursued those things which give life, and we have to figure out what gives me life. Hopefully worshiping God corporately, worshiping God personally, remembering our rescue from slavery to sin, enjoying creation, connecting with friends, enjoying a meal together, putting aside the clock, maybe turning off the screens for a day, listening to music, silence, carefully thinking about all that brings us life. Cease from what's necessary. Pursue that which gives life to the glory of God. Christians can keep God's Sabbath command by ceasing from what's necessary and embracing that which gives life. On whatever day, it works to do that in our world. Because Sabbath is God's gift to us and we must move away from being legalistic or minimalistic and instead, by God's grace, and guidance move towards being holistic about Sabbath. And that might even include having a piece of chocolate cake with icing. Let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, we think of your invitation again. You've said to us, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden and I will give you rest you will give us rest and then you say take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls and, and that's what we need Lord in the midst of our chaotic lives and world we need to build our lives on the rock as we talked about earlier and find our deepest rest in you and you know whatever issues we have with commands Lord so help us through that to see the goodness of your word for us and the invitation of Jesus so that we might experience life and rest and renewal. And I pray that, Lord. I pray you will give that to all who are here today and watching online, your rest and your renewal. And we pray this in your name. Amen.